On a cold winter's morning in the tiny coal mining village of Mount Kembla, on the south coast of New South Wales, men and boys were getting ready for another day of work in the Mount Kembla mine, their wives and mothers seeing them on their way. Meanwhile, down in the valley in Wollongong, an arbitration commission, which had been investigating the safety of mines in the Illawarra, was preparing to hear another day's testimony. On this particular day, July 31st, into the safety of the Mount Kembla mine. Little did they know that this would be a day like no other. Hours later, at three minutes past two, the largest mine disaster to date in Australia's history would occur, the effects of which were not only felt throughout this tiny community and across the country, but this devastating news made international headlines. This play is born from the words of survivors, based on events leading up to and including the Mount Kembla mine disaster of 1902 and its aftermath, a deeply moving and personal story of strength, determination, courage and resilience of this small community. 96 Candles is verbatim-based theatre, taken from the words of those involved in the disaster. However, some fictional characters have been utilised to aid in the telling of certain events. My name is Karen Cobbin, the playwright, and I hope you enjoy 96 Candles, a podcast play. Arbitration Commission, Wollongong Court, July 31st, 1902. Waiting. The incessant waiting. What is the time? Hmm. The doors should be open soon. Good morning. Are you here to observe the proceedings or give testimony? Ah, an interested observer. Well, I'm here to give testimony... To give my expert opinion, you see, I'm a mining engineer and a certified colliery manager. I have written and specifically asked to testify at this commission, but they're not keen for me to do so, as usual. Oh, no. We don't need to hear from the troublesome Mr. May. This arbitration commission is long overdue, in my humble opinion, The last time the safety of mines in the Illawarra was reviewed was in the aftermath of the Bull-Eye disaster of 86. Mind you, not much came of that commission, not much learnt. Little has changed for the betterment of the miners, I would suggest. The past is the present is the past. That's too often the way of things. They're taking testimony from witnesses from the Mount Kembla mine today, I believe. 
Mount Kembla. <laughs> Feisty inhabitants. You remember the strike of 1890? Now there's a story. How did that wonderful poem by Melinda Kendall go? Oh, yes. Come all ye jolly colliers, and colliers' wives as well, and listen to my ditty for the truth I mean to tell. It's over colliers' wage dispute is the burden of my song. I mean to cheer you up if it won't detain you long. For the masters, they are grumbling in country and in town. They want to starve poor miners by cutting wages down. But if you stick together and everyone be true, you are sure to be triumphant, singing cock-a-doodle-doo. The miners of Mount Kembla, oh, loudly how they shout. Against this drop of ten percent, they rise without a doubt. In this happy, glorious country, man is treated like a Turk, where the masters get the profit and the miners get the work. We only want fair wages, we only want fair play. For the masters, they are grumbling in country and in town. They want to starve poor miners by cutting wages down. But if you stick together and everyone be true, you are sure to be triumphant, singing cock-a-doodle-doo. What is this? What's happening, Matthew? Inspector Ryland has arrived with his glorious force of police. They finally brought in the Blacklegs, that bastard Robertson. No, not Blacklegs. Free labourers, haven't you heard? <laughs> Free labourers. Bloody domain squatters, more like. Seedy looking lot. It seems they've not responded well to our little protest march. Ah, perhaps we should resurrect our banners, Catherine. Perhaps. I rather liked our banners, Ivy. How were they reported in the newspaper? As grotesque. Ah, but original. I agree with the Mercury. I thought they were highly original. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord. How many are there? He's arrived with a force of 100. 100? They have batons and revolvers. Dr Robertson and Mr Vickery have gone mad sending in the police. Expecting trouble, perhaps? Perhaps. Perhaps we should give it to them. Matthew... Catherine and Ivy walk into a very heated meeting of miners, lamenting the turn of events. It's time to stand up for what we believe. Vickery and Robertson want trouble? Then let's give it to them. They want to deny our right to belong to a union. Shut us out of the mine like they did back in 88 under Evans. Why lock our men out of the mine? Throw us out of our houses? Double the rent? It's not right. We have a right to earn a fair living. And to fair working conditions. Settle down, settle down, lads. We have to talk this through calmly. Calmly? How can we be calm when they want us to sign to these new freedom of contract? Freedom for who? Not us. Bugger their freedom of contract. What about our working rights? Our right to have our men come home to us safe. It is a time of plenty for the company. 
Why cut our men's wages and the hewing rate? I don't understand. Bloody we hold our wages. Bringing in those bleeding black legs. None of them are miners. Wouldn't know their way round a mine. I say, we throw those black legs out. We're not alone. Half the state is out on strike or locked out like us. The maritime, the pastoral, and the other mining lodges. Time for us to take a stand. Here, right now. Let's storm the pit. pit. <laughs> Send them back to the domain. Give Vickery and Robertson something to think about. Storm the mine? What are you thinking, lads? We beat them back in 88, and we can beat them now! There are better ways. We keep protesting, marching. Protesting? Marching? It's got us nowhere. It's time for action. What do you say, lads? Yes. Yes. 88 was different. We didn't have Inspector Ryland and his men camped at the pit mouth. Now they've been reinforced by Major Beans and the Permanent Artillery. All 160 of them. With Inspector Ryland and his men, that's 260 armed men. 260 men? There's a thousand of us from all around the Illawarra. Yeah, Did you not hear me? Armed men. You've seen what they have. Carbines, bayonets, swords and three machine guns. Machine guns! Dear Lord! I've been told that each artilleryman has been supplied with 40 rounds of ammunition. Catherine stands silent, observing, watching, annoyed. Do you think they won't fire? If you attack them, they'll fire. She's right, lads. Most definitely right. We don't need to be homeless and widows. So, what do you suggest then, Catherine? I suggest that we women have the best chance of making our way through their ranks. They won't fire on women. They'll let us through. We can appeal to Inspector Ryland, Major Baines and their men to leave. Appeal to the free labourers to lead, to plead our case to them. Perhaps Dr. Robertson will listen to us? (laughs) It is a sound suggestion. I agree with Catherine. It worked in the 86-87 strike. The Bulleye Wives succeeded in turning back the Blacklegs. We can too. Catherine and Matthew walking home from the meeting. What are you thinking of, woman? Leading a deputation of women up to the pit head to talk to Robertson. It's ludicrous. What are you thinking, husband? All this talk about Storm and Ryland beans and their men... That's ludicrous and dangerous. I don't need you dead, Matthew. We don't need you dead. If you storm them, they'd fire. You know I'm right. The strike is going nowhere. We're all suffering. It's time for something different. Something they won't expect. The Bulleye women did it. They drove those black legs back onto the boats with saucepans. We'll drive them out with words and reason. We can do it. We're just as strong and determined. It's too dangerous, Catherine. We'll be fine. You know they won't fire on us. They'll let us pass. Of that I have no doubt. As long as we don't take the saucepans, they won't suspect a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you worry, Catherine. I can't have anything happening to you, my darling girl. Oh, well, husband. The shoe will be on the other foot for a change. I worry about you, my love. Every time you go down into the pit, you do that for me, for our family. Now it's my turn. They look at each other and hug. 
Catherine, Ivy and Dulcie walk with a delegation of women into the mine compound towards the pit mouth. <laughs> what do we have here? Union Amazons sent to quash our resolve? Sir, we come to speak to you, to appeal to you, to Inspector Ryland and Major Baines on behalf of our husbands and our families. No, ladies, I think not. The women stand their ground. Enough of this tomfoolery. Dr. Robertson grabs Catherine by the arm and begins to shuffle her away from the mine entrance. The women are shocked. You're not welcome here, madam. Dr. Robertson, unhand me, sir. He looks to Inspector Ryland, who is shocked by Robertson's actions. Dr. Robertson nods towards the other women. Inspector Ryland, must I do your job for you? Men, remove the women. Inspector Ryland jumps into action and grabs the arms of the other two women. There is a short scuffle. Dr. Robertson, please hear us out. Allow us to talk to the men who work here, sir. They are blacklegs. <laughs> Harsh words, madam. No, ladies. They take the jobs of our men, take food from our children's mouths. We ask for only what is fair, sir. Haven't you a mother, sir? I'd be sorry to have one like you. I knew we should have brought those pans, Catherine. There is an awkward silence. Ladies, you forget yourselves. Forget your sex. This action will not bode well for you or your families. Go home and tend to your families. Catherine, Ivy and Dulcie turn to watch the delegation of women leave. They remain steadfast. They turn to face Dr Robertson. Dr Robertson, we do tend to our families. That is why we are here. The sliding scale of the hewing rate needs to be reconsidered by Mr Vickery and yourself. Two shillings and ninepence was acceptable while the scene was at five foot six. Our men were able to hew enough coal from the mine to make a decent living. But now the scene is down to four foot. It is impossible for our men to hew enough coal to make a living. Our children are hungry. Our men despondent and angry. This combination, sir, never bodes well. A veiled threat, madam? The truth, sir. Ladies, I will confess to you that I would prefer to have my old hands working back in the mine, since my free labourers seem to be delivering me more havoc than coal. I have a proposal. I will pay my old hands the same rate as my new recruits and produce only coal for the government railway. Sir, this is a liberal offer. We shall refer this proposal to our men. Good day, Dr. Robertson. As the women leave, Dr. Robertson turns to Inspector Ryland. It is indeed true what they say, sir. The devil's in the women, for they will never give way. The proposal was not well received. It was seen as a ruse to entice the Kembla men to break away from the Union, and so the siege of Mount Kembla continued. Eventful, to say the least. 500 miners did eventually storm the mine and sought to rid themselves of the Union breakers. However, in vain. The women were no doubt unhappy with this foolhardy action and perhaps wished they'd employed the use of pans on this day, not to cook their husbands' meals, but rather to knock some sense into their beloved's brains. Thankfully, the police and artillery men did not see fit to fire. They'd lost enthusiasm for their task, most probably due to their 
poor living conditions and the copious amount of maggots in their supplies on arrival from Sydney. Ebenezer Vickery, managing director of the colliery, who liked to think of himself as the collier's paternal benefactor, was, to his horror, stoned by the villagers on arrival from Sydney. <laughs> Young Unionists spent many a night issuing blood-curdling cries to the occupiers of their little village. <laughs> and my personal favourite? The ambush. A secret recruitment of 40 free labourers from Sydney, en route to the mine by train, were ambushed on arrival to the village. Management's secret mission foiled, as 30 of those 40 supposed free labourers revealed themselves to be, in point of actual fact, union pickets. <laughs> I wonder if they shouted surprise. Finally, it occurred to the Mount Kembla Colliers that the easiest way for them to break the occupation was through a policy of masterly inaction. They decided to leave the free labourers to their own devices to effect their own extermination. The free labourers cared little for the hard work, complained about the conditions and the rations. Some even joined the strike. Ha! The result? They left. Success! By the end of 1890, the occupation and the strike was over. Spirits in Mount Kembla were high, but the bitter mistrust remained for... For if they do these things in good times, what should be done in the bad? Then came the bad, the Great Recession of the 1890s. Oh, how impolite of me. I've failed to introduce myself. My name is Jonathan May. My field of study is colliery explosions and their prevention. The question that most occupies me is, who is responsible for the safety of the mines in New South Wales? A simple enough question, you may think, easily answered. However, I have not found this to be the case. And the pursuit to find the answer to this question has led me into harm's way on more than one occasion. Oh yes, loss of pay and demotion in His Majesty's government, among other things. But enough of my worries. Where was I? Oh yes, the Great Recession. The Recession, as we all know, hit the coal mining industry hard, particularly in the Illawarra. The colliers' bargaining power disappeared as if it were but a puff of smoke. <sighs> Difficult days indeed for the families of Mount Kembla. Times of great hardship and worry for the miners and their wives. And their children were not spared the worry. Albert Dungy, afternoon detention. Albert, I'm looking forward to a lengthy piece of work befitting the numerous afternoons that you have spent with me after school improving your composition work. Yes, miss. You know how important this is, Albert. Yes, miss. 
Less attention to catching possums, Albert. More to your schoolwork, yes? Yes, miss. Good. Please read your composition for me, Albert. Yes, miss. Mount Kembla, July 19th, 1893. Dear Sir, the pit has been working very badly this week. They are fixing the road and making bridges. They are going to level the road from the bridge up to the church. I remain yours faithfully, Albert Dungey. Hmm. Well, at least your handwriting is much improved. Albert, perhaps you could consider starting your composition with a different sentence. Eight of your last nine compositions have begun with exactly the same sentence. But, miss, the pit is working very badly now. How many days do you think at the pit this week, Frank? Still only three days, I'm afraid, my love. Three days? Oh, well, it's better than nothing. Well, they're talking about reducing the hewing rate again. Not again! To what? To one shilling and ninepence. How will we manage, Frank? I don't know, Mary. I just don't know. The lodge is talking of another strike, of resisting the reduced rate. They've started giving two weeks' notice and then re-employing on the new reduced rate. Well, what can we do? They have us at such a disadvantage. We need the work. I know, love. Pa, will I still start at the pit when I'm 14? I hope so, lad. I hope so. How did school go today? Miss kept you back? Why, Albert? Miss wanted me to finish writing my composition. She said, less chasing of possums and more writing. (laughs) Mary and Frank look at each other and smile. She asked me to try to start my compositions with a different sentence, but I can't, Pa. It's the way things are. What is that, son? That the pit is working very badly now. Outside the Arbitration Commission. It has been asked of me on occasion, what do I know about mines? What experience do you have, sir, in this area? I know about mines. I began to work in a mine at the age of ten years. From seventeen to twenty I was getting coal. Besides that I was apprenticed as a mining engineer. That was in England. I have forty years of practical experience in the mines and have worked in every official capacity. A foreman or deputy, uh, an overman, undermanager and a surveyor. So, yes, sir, I have experience, I say. I've been principally in this colony for about 15 years now, although I did spend a short time in New Zealand. I worked initially as a miner in Broken Hill, at the tin mines at Uriari, and later as a manager at Mittagong Coal Mine in Victoria for a time, then opened a mine in Dapto. I became a lecturer in Newcastle, then Wollongong, and have been ever since. So, you see, with all that practical and theoretical experience behind me, I'm well qualified to testify at an arbitration hearing such as this, despite opinions to the contrary. They don't want to hear what I have to say, so they do all in their power to discourage me. What to do about John May, they say. <laughs> The troublesome Mr. May.
Mount Kembla Hotel, July 30th, 1902. Ned, come join us and bring your part with you. That's some fine playing there, lad. Most definitely. A toast to Ned and his fiddle. To, to Ned, Ned and, and his fiddle. Thanking you. Bottoms up, lad. We need some warming. I've been looking forward to this all day. Are you going to the game on the weekend? I hear they have a new recruit in the team. Yes, Mickey Brennan. He's a good lad. I've heard say he's an excellent player. Been here a week now. That's him there over at the bar, wearing his football jersey. How you doing, Mickey? Still have that jersey on, lad? I'm good, Matthew. Always wear it. My dad gave it to me. Writing to him now while enjoying a pint. <laughs> good way to write a letter. See you at the game, Mickey. To be sure. A win win of the lads. (laughs) Do we know anyone from up Kembla giving testimony at the Arbitration Commission this week? Warburton and Hay from the company. uh, I think Richie has called James Silcock to testify for us, Thomas. Will this commission make any difference? Hope so, lad. Richie's doing an excellent job for us, as always. Nice ass, too. He's a good miners' advocate. We're lucky to have them. Ah, they're like bulldogs. <laughs> Robertson and Victory don't scare them. To, to success. success. <laughs> uh, it's always about the money. The company make the money and we do the work. Not much has changed since the 90s. We're still fighting for the same things. Edwards told me there's been a few blowers. I'm worried. Blowers means gas. We've heard that too. He's told Frank. Frank tries, but his hands are tied. No one wants to hear about blowers. Not if you want to keep your job. If one of those boats come down and there's gas, we'll all be toast. Toast? You know, we'll be cooked. Fried. Toast. You do know what toast is, lad. Is it like bannocks, Thomas? I can't believe you don't know toast, Ned. You fry it in the pan, add a bit of dripping... Butter. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> anyway, we'll be cooked, lad. If a blower go off, a board come down, or, God forbid, a blower come in contact with a naked flame... We'll be toast. That's right, lad. They say they want us to use the safety lamps. How can we when the hewing rate is so low? The light is useless. They expect us to walk to a lighting station every time the blasted thing goes out. Our there... Our back. <laughs> Either way, no one works. With you, even less go. I'm not keen on using the naked flame. Catherine's always worrying herself about gas and, and the pit firing. But what choice do we have? Until they raise a hewing rate, none. A miner's lot. Well, lads, I best be getting home. My Joni will be waiting up for me. Don't want her worrying about me any more than she does with me going down the pit every day. (laughs) Not long till the baby. Oi, won't be long now, Thomas. You better get plenty of sleep now, laddie. Once the bairn arrives, sleep will be a thing of the past. (laughs) That's the truth of it. (laughs) To to the baby. baby! Dear Da... How are you, old fella? Well, I hope. I'm fine. Sitting in the Mount Kembla pub having a pint. Can't be bad. The lads are all good and the single men's accommodation is not too tardy. But I don't know about the pit. 
A few of the lads told me there have been a few blowers, so there's some gas around. It feels an unsafe pit to me. Not enough checks seem to be done for gas. There's an arbitration hearing at the moment in Wollongong about the safety of mines in the Illawarra. The lads tell me that this week they're hearing evidence about Mount Kembla mine. Maybe something will come out about the blowers. I'm thinking I'll leave this mine, duh. Go somewhere else. I've got a bad feeling about this place. Lucky I have me lucky football jersey, da. Wear it all the time. It'll keep me safe. Love you, da. I'll come visit you as soon as I'm able. Your loving son, Michael. I was charged, yes, charged by the Undersecretary for Mines. He charged me, firstly, with harassing the Mines Department in connection with a deputy from the Newcastle District dismissed for reporting gas. And, secondly, in having, in alliance with the deputy so dismissed, cost the department £600. I promptly asked the Public Service Board to investigate this charge against me, but they declared it to be outside their jurisdiction. I have appealed to the Minister for Mines, who promptly tried to shift it to the Minister for Education. You see, I am currently a lecturer on mining, geology and mining surveying in charge of technical education in the Illawarra District for the Department of Education. I have put it before all the delegate boards of the Illawarra, Lithgow and Newcastle districts and have their unanimous support for this investigation. But, up to the present, the Mines Department have evaded this investigation. Unbelievable! You see, the deputy dismissed fought hard to obtain a court of inquiry, despite intense coercion from the company and... I may add, the Mines Department, to do the contrary. He succeeded. This deputy, J.W. Bailey, who was then known to me as a student of the mining classes, wrote to me, saying he had no money to engage counsel and realised his slightly defective hearing would prevent him doing justice to his case. If I obtained permission from my department... Would I conduct his case? I promptly replied in the affirmative, saying the inquiry was demanded in the best interests of both workmen and proprietors. The Undersecretary of Mines did not agree with me. Commissioner Wade awarded Mr Bailey three out of his four charges, that being the concealing of two incidents by the manager and under-manager, a miner burnt by fire-damp, one overcome by after-damp, and the obstructing of an air course to deceive a government inspector, the Bratis trick. However, when it came to the deputy's dismissal for reporting gas, Commissioner Wade's conclusion was, and I quote, that Bailey was dismissed for making known the existence of gas 
I am unable to say. Bailey reported Gas on Tuesday, March the 28th and was dismissed from his position on Friday, March the 31st. But that he was dismissed for reporting Gas, the Commissioner cannot say. This matter has cost me £120 per year in salary already. It has not only blocked my way to legitimate promotion in the line of my lifelong training and expertise, but during the past few months, my status has been dishonestly reduced. A policy of pinpricks has been initiated with a view to irritating me into some act or expression which would justify a charge of insubordination. The object being, of course, to drive me out of the public service. Prick, prick, prick. I have become a pincushion. Well, that may be so. But they will not silence me. At last, the doors open. July 31st, 1902. The arbitration hearing in Wollongong. Morning in Mount Kembla. Today, we are examining the safety of the Mount Kembla mine. Uh, Mr. Ritchie, as the miner's representative to this commission, you may call your first witness. <laughs> Stop your swirling. I'll be falling over flat in my face. Give me a kiss and a coddle, woman, to see me through my shift. Oh, go on, off with you. <laughs> The witness may continue with his testimony. Thank you, sir. I've worked with safety lamps to my sorrow. They are a great disadvantage to miners. There is not so good a light from them, and they are a strain on the eye. All side? Aye. We can knock off early today and make the time up later. Yes. We should be at the mine entrance no later than two. Dapto races, here we come. Today's our lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> The cold hewers erect bars at Mount Kembler. I have erected a lot myself. I am paid nothing extra for erecting these bars. I consider the scale we are seeking from the court fair and reasonable payment for these. I had a bad dream last night. I saw a bridge rocking and a finger pointed at me. It said, you are not to let him go into the mine because you know he hates it. I know he hates it. Maybe it is a warning. I want to keep him home today. Oh... Ow, I want to keep him home today, but how can I? It wouldn't be fair to his father. He needs him. David Ritchie, miners' representative. Coal hewers at Mount Kimbler work eight hours from bank to bank. The front shift goes in at 7 o'clock and comes out at 3pm. The back shift goes in at 9am and comes out at 5pm. I do not consider the front and back system satisfactory at present. It was never satisfactory. The reason it is unsatisfactory is because I consider it dangerous for one man to be in by himself. Another reason is that the man who is in by himself is trying to do two men's work. I'm off, Johnny, love. Look after our babe now. I will. And you come back to me safe. There is a great quantity of powder used in the production of coal at Mount Kembler. Uh, an average of about £30 per fortnight is the cost of it divided between among all the miners. 
There is more powder use since the shovel feeling started uh, to what there was before. The company does not provide the powder. I did complain to the management, Mary. I told him quite strongly that I'm feeling overworked, that I can't vouch for the safety of my district, that it's too vast. <laughs> Hopefully they will listen. Let's hope so, my love. Frank, here, don't forget your watch now. Nice football jersey, Mickey. Thanks. It's my favourite. I know. You told me. You've been here a few weeks now. How are you liking it? I'm not, Matthew. I'm leaving tomorrow. Why, Mickey? This place will go up one day. I had a frightful bad dream last night. I was in the pit and someone ran by me yelling, Run! For God's sake, she's fired! They withdraw the props from time to time to relieve pressure. I mean, whilst they are working parts of the pillar, they may be drawing the props away from the pillar. If a man neglected his work, the props would break away and there would be a great loss. Don't go down the mine, Dad. Dreams very often come true. Mount Kemder is the safest mine in the world. Mount Kemder is so devoid of gas that I could walk through it with a hurricane lamp. Mr Rogers, I dispute that, sir. A young miner is pushing a skip away from the mine entrance. He looks directly down into the pit mouth. He hesitates momentarily, slightly perplexed. What is that? He leans forward, peering back into the pit mouth. What is that white cloud? <laughs> 